1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal or financial product advice.
2: Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. Thank you for joining us on the potty today. Uh, This isn't a typical episode. If it's your first episode, probably best to uh, go to another episode because I've got two guest hosts, members of the team, Rach and Jess. And the reason why I say that is because we do a bit of housekeeping in this episode that probably is more for our community. And if you're just dropping in or dropping out, you might not get that much value out of this. Of course, we do answer lots of questions, uh, but I wanted to bring on uh, Rachel and Jess today Uh, just to say hi and to show everybody that it is more than just a couple of people doing this podcast. Uh, So I'll start first by saying hi, Rach. Rach Chow, thanks for joining me today. Hello,
3: thanks for having me on.
2: Now, can you explain to the class what you do at school?
3: (laughs) I produce the podcast and we've got some really awesome episodes coming up. So you've got a great little rant coming up on the My Millennial Money Express this week. And John and Emily are doing some great stuff over on the property show, um, doing another Would You Rather, and also commercial real estate. So, yes, a lot of nice stuff coming up.
2: Wild, And we've got Jess Pearson. Hello. Jess, what are you doing the team?
0: Essentially what I do is uh, I help Glenn with all these marketing, design, social stuff. So we've been quite busy lately with Glenn's new book coming out. We've also revamped the spending plan. So we've updated a whole bunch of good stuff, good content in there. And we also have just been revisiting the My Money Journal as well just to see and hear from you guys if you want some more and it sounds like you do
2: love it lots going on thank you Jess Pearson and again we are an independent podcast I will explain a little bit further in the episode around the housekeeping of you know how we make money why we need to make money because you know by having these products just help us uh, one give you value that you're after and two It helps us uh, pay the team's salary. I want to also announce that our wonderful producer, Jess Knauss, is on maternity leave. Uh, Her and Carl have welcomed their second child, our little boy, Callahan, into the family to join Ruben. So thanks, Jess, for all your hard work, and I hope that you're managing everything on maternity leave. And Nathan, who's in our team, I did want to get him on to say hi on this episode as well, Uh, but he's off sick today, so I'll be editing this podcast. So... There we go. Well, you guys ready to uh, have a chat and get into some of these questions?
0: Let's do it. Let's get into it.
2: Let's get it on.
0: (laughs) Why
3: did you sound like that? It was so like robotic. Let's get it on.
2: Okay, so Jess and Rach, both of you have dug up some questions from different people who have uh, listened and written in. You can email your questions, questions at mymillennial.money. Keep them short, keep them brief. If you send them in as a audio file, they will get priority because we want to make things more dynamic. Uh, what have you got, Jess?
0: All right, so the first question that we've got is from Colin and he's based on the Gold Coast And he says, I'm really struggling to save money with the cost of living on the Gold Coast. So, he's mentioned rent, bills, food, and fun.
2: Now, I thought this was actually very interesting because both of you live on the Gold Coast. So, Rach, what's your experience been with the cost of living on the Gold Coast? Because I didn't actually think it was like in a London. What's it been like for you?
3: Oh, yeah. Gee, like... I have been living at home with my parents. So I think my experience is probably going to be different. Well, very different to Cohen's, but also different to a lot of people living on the Gold Coast at the moment. Um, I have honestly been considering moving out and looking for a rental in the past couple of months. And honestly, it's just been crazy looking at the prices. And I I was shocked to see that they were so out of my ballpark. Um, And I've just been honestly feeling so blessed to still be living at home during this period because like in all the um, community forums on Facebook, all the suburb chats and stuff, people are saying, man, it's so hard to find a place to live on the Gold Coast right now.
2: And what type of, like I'm just on Domain, I'm just doing some Gold Coast searching for rent. Uh, Yeah, 425, 780, gosh, 540, 540. Uh, 470, 500. So realistically, for 480 for a three bedroom, two bathroom, and these are obviously just houses. Uh, there's an apartment for 310, 800, 520. I mean, it's just scattered. There's a, um, there's a Palm Beach house here. Uh, it's a townhouse, $750 a week. So there is some variety there. What's your experience being JP with, um, other costs of living on the Gold Coast?
0: So I've got kind of a different experience again. I moved to the Gold Coast when I was 18, so that was 10 years ago now. I'm showing my age and basically for the first um, about four or five years, I just, I guess, uh, lived in a couple of different share house situations until finally I'd felt that I'd gotten enough money together. I bought a small unit, just a one bedroom. I lived in that for about three years I then had a clarity call with John because I was rethinking my circumstances and um, really just made the decision, yep, I'm going to move back into the a share house type circumstance and that was a play that I made to be able to save more money than what I was saving living by myself. What I would say to Colin is to look at what you're spending on your rent, bills, food and funds. So, make sure that you really have your foundations in place, look at what your income is coming in and see where you can tighten things up in other areas.
2: Yeah, I would totally agree because I read this question and it says really struggling too and then It, you know, whatever it says after that, whether it's save money because of the cost of living, whether it is to get out of debt, whether it is to save for a car, whether it is to save to pay for, uh, some further education, the question actually doesn't matter what the actual thing is when we answer it. It matters to Cohen because he's obviously struggling on the Gold Coast. But I couldn't agree more, JP. Like when you are in a situation like this, unless you know exactly what your numbers are, you're going to feel like you're struggling. And I believe it's really going to come down to three things. And I'd appreciate um, your opinion on this, ladies. It's going to come down to one, is your income actually high enough? Like, do you earn enough money to be out there living? So, you might be working three days a week and surfing the other two. Like, is your income actually enough? The second one is your expenses are actually too high. You're paying over 50% in rent where we want to target to be 30% or less of your net take-home income. Or, and these are a lot of people that come to us and do the spending plan where they're in this position until they actually have a systemized plan in place. Or the third one is, I just have no structure and everything's messy. So, it feels like I'm not getting ahead. But that's because- you just got no accountability. You don't have a system and it's sloppy because as I said before, I've been to the Gold Coast. I've also purchased a coffee in London and it's actually, the cost of living isn't as crazy as what we think. So I think it is more of a circumstantial thing to um, Cohen as opposed to him being a part-time ex, insert whatever that is, trying to live in the middle of London. So Mm. I don't know. Do you reckon that's a fair analysis, ladies?
0: Yeah, Mm. I think it's interesting because he's talking about the Gold Coast, but he might have come from a rural town, Mm. so he might have come from somewhere else, um, Outback or North Queensland or something like that, where the cost of living actually is on average a little bit less compared to the Gold Coast. So that might be his, his, his experience. And, yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, with all of our lives it's really, everything is relative. So it's all based on how we've grown up and our personal circumstances. So, yeah, I, I would just say to to audit audit what's happening in the finances. And, um, you know, Glenn will often say things like, you can only control what you can control. So really review and make a call on what you can actually Um, change about your circumstance and and go from there.
2: Yeah. And and that's it. Like, it's just all relative. And, you know, we don't know this information, but, um, you know, if you do have a copy of the book, Cohen, uh, page 31, uh, you might need to pull a budget lever. And I talk about four budget levers to pull, you know, increase income, decrease your savings. So, not saving as much uh, because you're struggling to save. So, Uh, maybe you need to decrease your savings and actually set some realistic expectations of what you can save based on your income and expenses, reduce costs. So, I like to talk about when we reduce costs in a budget line item. And I use the fitness one because it's just so easy for people to understand. So, it could be my line item in the budget is fitness, right? And that line item, I have a gym membership, I have a a PT session twice a week, and I then pay for Pilates at another facility somewhere you know, you might reduce costs in that line item. So we still want you to spend money on fitness and exercise, but can we, you know, cut out the Pilates until we pay down some debt or whatnot? And the fourth one is cut something out completely. So that could be, look, I've got a really big fire on my hands here. I need to throw everything at it. For the next six months, I've got to cut out the gym. I've got to cut out Pilates. So, you know, whatever that is, I think there's only really four levers that you can pull with your budget. So, on you, Cohen, uh, I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll get there. And the fact that you're plugged into the My Millennial Money community means that in the month to come, you'll be in a better position just because you are dialed into your money. Rachel, there was a question in the Facebook group about HEX. Do you want to read that out, please?
3: Yeah. So, Julia asked, does my 150 k HEX debt get taken out of my will if I don't pay it off before I die? And then she's got a sweat face emoji.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I love that emoji. (laughs) And you can just search Hex in the Facebook group and you can see her comments. She's actually a vet. So she's done six years of study uh, at the start of her career. And this is a common question. Uh, Your Hex debt, uh, when you die, that debt is just dissolved. Uh, during the financial year, if there was some money owing when the estate does the tax return, there might be a small balance to pay uh, pro or whatnot. I'm sure, I don't even know if I pro it to the date of death, but either way, there might be some, you know, small amount that's owed by the estate, but on balance, uh, when you die, your hex and help debt dies with you. Uh, One reason I do say, Uh, don't rush to pay any more additional Hex and Help loan down, is because if you, for example, were paying an extra, I'll make a number up, $500 a month onto your Hex and Help debt, number one, um, that money that you're paying above and beyond is paying down the debt. But then if you died, you've lost that $500 a month. But if you were paying that $500 a month into super or into your investments uh, in your name at least your beneficiaries particularly if you've got kids or a spouse at least that wealth isn't lost so you know we generally say around here that you really would only pay down your hex and help debt if there was a small amount left that was superficial there might be $5000 left you go for a mortgage and they say look you know with the hex and help debt gone um, you can service a higher amount of debt. So, it, you know, just transfer five grand and get rid of it completely and adjust your salary. Uh, this other reason you might pay down extra is you met all your other financial goals and you just want to clean it for your own housekeeping. The other reason you might want to pay it down is you might decide, hey, work is actually letting me salary sacrifice pre-tax money onto my hex debt. And there are some Arrangements in the community services and government roles that allow different payments via salary sacrifice, pre tax. But in the main, um, your hex and help debt, Uh, it does die with you. My prediction is in future government years or different governments that they may put a claim on estates. So I'll just go another angle. If you had a $500,000 house and you're just single by yourself, owned a $500,000 house, and you had a $250,000 mortgage on that house, you've got $250,000 worth of equity. Now, if you died, what they would do is the estate would clear all the debts that you owe. So, they would sell the house for $500,000, pay back the bank of $250,000, and then the balance of $250,000 would be distributed to the beneficiaries in your will. So, uh, the estate must clear debt that's in somebody's name if you've got parents with debt, you can't inherit their debt. So, if my parent died and had a personal loan of $50,000 on some bloody caravan that they just bought, uh, not that they did, they bought a caravan, but (laughs) mummy and daddy paid cash for it. If they died, both of them died and uh, there was debt in their estate, if there was no assets left to pay the debt off, um, the creditors just go without the money. Do we drive that home, Rachel, to your standards? (laughs)
3: Yep. I think you answered that pretty sufficiently.
2: (laughs) And I will say just on, um, you know, wills and, and again, we cover so much of this in the book, your superannuation is not an estate asset. So it sits outside of your estate. So that's why it's important to speak to your superannuation fund and elect your beneficiaries uh, because, you know, you might do your will and it says, I want this to go to here and that to there. Uh, but you've got to address the superannuation. That's, I guess, why it's important to speak to an estate planning lawyer.
0: All right. Next question is from Michael Thomas. And he says, what company do I go through to start up ASX 200? I listen to your podcast. I'm wanting to do small weekly deposits, $200 into the 200 share market. So he's asking what is the easiest way for him to invest in the companies that are within the top 200?
2: Well, if you're after a top 200 investment, you would basically look for some type of ETF exchange traded fund, which tracks the top 200 Australian companies. Now, I think it's more important to, you know, you're asking here, what company do I go through? I think it's actually so much more important to understand what you want to invest into. And you're kind of there because you want to invest in the ASX 200. So, there's going to be two other um, stakeholders with this enterprise of yours, Michael. So, the first stakeholder is going to be the exchange-traded fund that actually uh, collects your money and you invest into that and they invest the money into the ASX 200. Uh, some of these companies that have exchange-traded funds just into the A200 uh, Australian Securities Exchange top 200 companies, you know, BetaShares, they do their A200 ETF. Then we've got BlackRock iShares, they do an ETF called IOZ into the ASX top 200. We've got State Street, which is another fund manager and their uh, ASX ticker code is STW. Uh, so they're the kind of three big ones in Australia at the moment that track the top 200 ASX. STW, which is State Street, IOZ, which is BlackRock and A200. That's their ticker, which is the BetaShares Australia 200 fund. Now, Vanguard do an Australian shares index fund with the ticker VAS, but they do the top 300 companies, but it basically tracks the same. So, that's your first stakeholder there. What fund manager are you investing your, we'll call it, you know, you said you want to do $200 a week. What fund manager are you giving $200 a week to, to then invest on your behalf? Now, to get to that fund manager, we need a broker. And we're not talking about the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, guy with the crappy fancy suit or whatever and, you know, buys and sells and all that stuff. We want to use a broker. And such brokers in Australia could be your ComSec, could be your E-Trades, could be your self-wealth, could be your superhero, could be your perla Like there's a variety of different brokers that will uh, basically speak to the market, find people who are selling, these Australian uh, share ETFs, and then they will connect you so you can buy it. So a recap, we've got to look at what we're investing in. Then we go, okay, what company do we want to use to hold that investment? And then thirdly, what broker do we want to use to place that trade? So things you might look at there with the actual company that's doing the investing is the fees. How much are they charging? What's the fee for the ETF? The second thing you'll look at, which I think is actually important uh, is liquidity. Uh, if the crap hits the fan, has the fund been around for a, a decent amount of time? Is there liquidity? Uh, if you need to sell, will, will there be other buyers? That's a, a big thing as well. So, you know, the costs at the moment, uh, A200 is the cheapest ETF in Australia of 0.07%. Where the Vanguard one is 0.10, uh, so it's 0.03 of a percent more, but you get an extra 100 companies uh, because they do the top 300, not the top 200. Uh, and IOZ is 0.09 percent with BlackRock and State Street is 0.13. So you might say, "Oh, I'll just go with beta shares because they're the cheapest." Well, have a have a, have a look, you know what's the track record of the company? And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. Uh, what's the liquidity like? What's the volume of trade? So, it's just not always about fees. So, that's what I would uh, think about first, Michael. And what I'm going to do, Michael, if you can just reply to or reach out to us and um, say what episode you heard this on and your name in the email, just so we can prove it's you, I'll get you a copy of the book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested, uh, because I cover all this stuff and more. And I think once you've read the book, you'll understand that you might want to be a little bit more diverse with your investing than just the Australia top 200 of companies.
3: Nice. Was
2: that a bit of a rant or what?
3: That was good. That's good. Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, like, because I'm a noob when it comes to investing. So, when you were talking about liquidity,
2: mm-hmm. can you
3: unpack what that means briefly for me?
2: Yeah. So liquidity in it, and it really does go through the spectrum of risk. So it's part of the risk spectrum as far as I can see. So we know that for me to have a thousand dollars in my bank account, I can go to the bank tomorrow. I can go to the ATM tomorrow, today, in the next hour and say, give me my cash. And it's there, it's liquid, it's flowing. So think of water, really liquid, it's flowing, it's easy. Now, if you went to purchase, if you had $500,000 cash and you went to buy an investment property, that investment property isn't as liquid as cash because if I need to sell it, there might not be anyone who wants to buy that house off me in that market. So, that could be the number one factor. Another factor could be, well, if I do find a buyer it might take six weeks for me to get the cash out. So Mm. it's not as liquid. But then if we go one step further and I say to uh, both of you ladies, hey, I'm starting a new company. Uh, It's going to be called Glen James Liquid Nails. So not the building liquid (laughs) nails, but we do nail polish. So it's it's going to be liquid nails. And I say to you girls, I've got this really good idea. Um, I need 10 grand each. Um, to invest into the company. And then hopefully in 10 years, I'll be able to return your money and the profit. So you can see that's more risky Mm, for a couple of reasons. What are you
0: forecasting that the profit will be?
2: Uh, More than double. (laughs) Uh, So the thing is with liquidity, and I really do explain it in the book exactly, and I'm glad you asked this question, Rach, because it is about risk and return. And one of the risks that we need to look at with investing is liquidity. So if we look at cash, really liquid, but low risk, low return. An investment property, yeah, pretty liquid. I mean, properties do sell, but it's not as fast as cash. Um, And then down the other end of the spectrum, a private equity investment into Glen James Liquid Nails could be a good investment, but not liquid at all. Because if you said, oh, Glen, I need my money, I might say, well, Rach, I'm going to have to find another buyer to buy your share out of this company. And it's a highly speculative investment. I already said that you couldn't have the money until and, you know, fifty-two or something like that. Uh, so, that's not very liquid. So, with liquidity, when we look at shares, shares are really liquid, right? So, if you bought CBA shares, it's trading every day, so many volumes. But there could be some of these penny stocks that are companies that no one's heard of that you place a trade with self comsec, Superhero, E-Trade, you know, all the the brokers. And it could sit there for an hour, a couple of hours, a couple of days waiting for another um, buyer so you can sell your shares.
3: Mm. Oh, great. Yeah, that makes does sense.
2: That, does that make sense in a practical way?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does. That was good. Thanks. Mm. No worries. All right. Next question is from Valencia. And she says, how to encourage parents or the older generation that investing is a great way to be financially independent faster.
2: Mm, this is a, a little bit tricky. I, It's kind of like, again, insert how to encourage, not parents or older generation, my friend who just wants to party all day, my sister who just wants to cruise around in a luxury yacht, my brother who just likes spending money on his car. Whatever that is, it's this premise that we're trying to convince somebody that we know how to do things and we want them to do it because we know that it's better. It's almost like you really, you can lead a horse to water, you can throw buckets of water at it, you can hose it down and give it a horsey massage, you can do all the horsey things to it. But will it drink the water? So, I think it's more of a, um, you might need to use subtleties. Like, hey, mum and dad, I want to let both of you know that I'm actually doing really well with my money. I've listened to my Millennial Money podcast. I bought the book. I've watched this YouTube video and I'm so dialed into my money and I've got plans to retire by 55 or whatever that is. I don't know. And more just do this from an encouragement thing to give people the opportunity to say, oh, can you tell me more? So, I don't know if there's actually a, a magic formula. Uh, we know that past generations uh, are a lot more risk adverse in the main because we didn't have the access to micro-investing apps. We didn't have the access to superannuation. So, there can be a little bit more risk involved. They've you know, it's just another generation. So I'm not entirely aware. What's your experience being JP in relation to this type of stuff?
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like we all need some sales training on how to convince other people to do things. Or <laughs> we all need to. We all need to buy how to win friends and influence people, yeah. or whatever whatever that book's called. Admittedly, I've never read it.
2: I've um, actually read it. It's basically yeah. just be uh, just be a normal person. Don't be right. a sleaze bag. Like be genuine. Yep. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, I guess like if, if the point is to be genuine. So my specific experience with this is when I started diving down my personal money journey, take super, for example, when I started to think about, okay, well, how much will I potentially end up with when I'm an old lady? Um, and I started to think about, okay, well, if this is how much I think I might have, how much do my parents have? And when I started asking my parents, those questions, um, it just started a, an honest conversation that, that maybe, you know, where we both learned things, different things from, from different sides of the picture, if, if that makes sense. So what I said to, um, to my mum specifically was, and this was years ago, I remember trying to tell her, Hey, just, just go to an advisor to which her response was like, Oh, you know, I'm just not sure. Um, and, I mean that's that's the case for a lot of people they're just they're just not sure what to think about it or maybe they've heard somebody that had a negative experience or you know w- whatever it is she just wasn't sure about it so over the years this conversation has has really turned into um more of a I guess back and forth every day you know like mom this is what I'm doing with xyz Um, and she started to share some of her goals and things. And I would just ask prompting questions along the way, like, okay, well, that's that's your goal. Like you want to travel around Australia or whatever it is, then how can you get there? And I think those just, you know, honest, genuine conversations, and I do not claim to know anything more than anyone else, but it's more just about asking the question and caring about the answer, I guess.
2: But you had permission to speak into that situation, right? You didn't kick down her door. Yeah, I
0: wasn't. (laughs) No, I wasn't giving (laughs) her unsolicited advice. Um, Definitely not. So, it was, yeah, it was a two-way conversation where we were both uh, sharing. I wasn't enforcing my opinion on her.
2: But I think you were pragmatic enough to know that, well, you don't know all the answers, but you know enough to prompt your mum to think about her own future and to encourage yeah. to get some help.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the way that I framed it was, well, hey, mum, I'm only asking, or, you know, we're only talking about this because I really, I really care about you. And, you know, I like one day. Hopefully, I'll be rich, but I might not have enough money to take care of you. So, come on, get your money working for yourself. <laughs> um, so, no, I bought Glenn's. I bought Glenn's book for her when it came out, and yeah, and she, I, I was like, all right, you got to read some of it. So, Glenn said for me to tell her, okay, go straight to the super chapter. So we went. She went straight in there. Admittedly, she did fall asleep. After three pages, but that's okay. I'll do that to people. I'll do that. (laughs) She's now finished the chapter and also her partner, my stepdad, has read the chapter too and they both said it was really easy to understand and it, um, yeah, simplified some really complex uh, types of um, concepts in it. So both really enjoyed it.
2: And Christmas is coming up. So, uh, you know, maybe we need to buy a book or three. Uh, And speaking of that, and thanks Valencia for sending in your question, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and announce
1: some winners. So we'll be right back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help.
2: All right, we are back. Now, JP, we did a couple of prizes in relation to the book launch.
0: Yes, we did.
2: I just want to say as well, I'm going to tell everyone a little bit about how we operate here uh, and the My Millennial Money team and some commercial stuff that's going on. Uh, So I know we're talking about the book a lot, but I'll tell you why in a moment. But JP, what were the two competitions that we ran?
0: Okay, so one of the competitions that we ran was for our pre-order campaign and that was just simply anyone that purchased two or more copies of the book had the chance to go um into the draw to win one of five zoom calls with glenn yep that's really the best thing that we could think of as a prize at the time so
2: (laughs) 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 my apologies everyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) um but we had so many of you write in and just give us such beautiful and funny answers um, in the 25 words or less to let us know why you wanted that Zoom call with Glenn. So thank you for everyone. Uh, Thank you to everyone for entering that. So our five winners were Georgia, Chanel, Ali, Basia, and Tegan. And some of the things that they sent through, I'll, I'll actually read them out. So Georgia said, because he has really helped change my whole money mindset. Chanel said, because everyone should get a chance to meet their heroes. (laughs) At at the time of reading this, so just to be clear, yeah, at the time of reading this, I was just crying like a little (laughs) baby. I was messaging the team. Yeah, I was messaging the team like, guys, you wouldn't believe, like, what people are saying i was so touched um and obviously this this is just the tip of the iceberg really because there was we had we heard from so many of you um Mm -hmm. about all of the good things happening in your lives because of um because of my million money so we love it um ali shared glenn and m3 has changed my life and life is in capitals so you know Mm -hmm. it's for reals (laughs) <laughs> and I would love to pick his brain on money, finding something you love doing, and life advice. So sounds like you're going to be given some good advice there, Glenn.
2: I thought the competition was to win an hour with me to discuss the book, but <laughs> whatever, eh? We'll make well, a cup it of tea is to and we'll go with it. the
0: It is to discuss the book, but obviously, mm. it's how the book relates to them personally. Right, right. So, anyway, you can't take it back now. No. Nope. Um, we also heard because Glenn is my why for starting investing. 21 years old and almost 30K invested, couldn't have started without him. Wow, so, I'll just take
2: 10% of that as an encouragement
0: fee.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Serious. Um,
0: and, oh, Okay. <laughs> And um, Tegan said, my friend and I are accountability partners and we would love the opportunity to better ourselves and learn from the master.
2: Well, it appears there's five ladies who won the award, so I'm looking forward to having the Zoom calls with you. And also remember, ladies, uh, the friend or the partner or the brother or the sister or the mum or the dad that you bought that book for as well, they are welcome to join the call as well. So, that was kind of what I had in my mind. So, you would um, both read the book and then, you know, the two or more people or, you know, if one of you bought four copies, I'm happy for, you know, if Basie have bought four copies, I'm happy to have, you know, four people on the call. Now, because I can't say no and want to do more, what do we got planned, JP?
0: So, because Glenn can't say no and he wanted to do more, we actually planned and um, we'll be inviting 15 more people that entered the competition, the pre-order competition, um, for a big conjoined Zoom party call with Glenn.
2: Woo! Yeah, so basically we'll send an email to Harriet Dunstall, Aaron Higgins, Ben O'Brien, Jed Nicole, Sally Zoo, Mike Van Damien, Spencer O'Leary, because Spencer said, Glenn, I love grilled, Ben and Jerry's, and most importantly, spending money. MMA has changed my <laughs> life uh, for the best. Um, Eleanor O'Neill, Lauren Farnham, Dominique Andrews, Luella Yu, Bayo Tran, Fonte Franks, Tim Coombs, and Larissa Knight. So thank you to everybody who got on board with that. Now, I don't want to hold us up because we've got a couple of more questions. So, what I might do is um, let's go to the next question, Jess, and then I might do the announcement at the end of this question just so we don't have people hanging for more money content.
0: All right. So, the next question is from Megan and she says, The house next door is likely to come up for sale soon. At market rate, it is out of our price range for us to buy as an investment property. Any suggestions of ways to convince them to sell it to us at a lower price?
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Rachel, when you bought your fifth house, how did you <laughs> negotiate that?
3: <laughs> Look, I just sweet talked them, you know?
2: <laughs> so, what I would probably say is, you know, there's really not going to be a way to convince them to give you a cheaper price. Um just out of the goodness of the heart, or like, oh, can you take 300 grand off? Like, I don't think that's going to happen because it would just be like uh, you asking them, hey, can you just sell that at market rates and give me 300 grand cash? Like, it's just, I think it could be a long bow to draw. But what you might do is go to them from the angle of convenience, speed, ease. Not having a real estate agent, and if it, and I just made a number up seven hundred thousand dollars, you know real estate agents could charge probably maybe from two and a half to five percent, okay, so seven hundred thousand dollars, you know five percent of that could be thirty five thousand dollars. so what if you actually in your mind talk to them, say, "Hey, what do you think it's worth? what do you want to sell it for?" And they might go, "Oh, if we could get seven hundred for it, we could be happy." Maybe he could be like six fifty. We'll sign tomorrow. Like that's what I'd probably do. I'd really line your ducks up, do some research, see what other houses are worth in the area, so you can actually know what it's worth and if you are getting a good deal or not. So I'd be going to them from the angle of speed, convenience, no hassle. Even three percent is twenty one thousand dollars saved. So I'm certainly not thinking that you know they're randomly going to give you three hundred grand or two hundred grand but certainly um, taking the hassle factor from them. There have been instances where, you know, people have done the door knock and said, hey, we want to buy a house, you know, and it could be worth 700. You're like, we'll give you 580 tomorrow or something like that. And they're like, yep, sweet. So again, uh, I just want to set realistic expectations there.
3: So uh, continuing on with the home buying kind of thread, Charlotte asks, if you have more savings than you need for a 20% deposit on a home, should you put it all in or only as much as you need? How to work out the best split? I Can would, I answer this?
2: Yeah, sure. Yes.
3: Yes. All right. Can you yell into
2: the mic, maybe? Oh, I'm so sorry for yelling. (laughs) No, that's right. I'm so
0: sorry for yelling. (laughs) Okay, hold on. Let me just put my Glenn brain on. I Mm. reckon it depends what the purpose of the home is for in the long term. So, if you can picture yourself living in this home for a long time, I would say put in as much as you can because then you're paying um, less in your mortgage repayments on a longer-term basis, but if you think, oh, okay, I might live here for a short term, I might live here for a couple of years, um, and you've got other, you know, more important overarching goals, then definitely put the least amount of of um, money that you can possible as your deposit so that you can keep saving that other money that you've got saved for your bigger goals. How did I do?
2: Uh, I wasn't listening, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it was fine. what i 'll probably say <laughs> no I kind of was it's it's absolutely fine. The overarching thing is speak to your mortgage broker um, just to see what the numbers stack up like. So for example, JP, if they couldn't keep their mortgage repayments under thirty percent and it meant pay, like putting more in and borrowing less, that could be a way to get the cash flow payments. Cheaper, you know what I mean? Because you don't want to be house poor. So that's number mm. one. But I'd probably speak to a financial advisor and, and again, I'll use the magical $700,000 amount. Before you absolutely pull the trigger, just have a look at what the long term looks like, exactly what JP said. Uh, if it's a leapfrog strategy versus a we're going to be buried here type strategy. If you had $700,000 purchase price, there'd be a $140,000 is 20% of that, right? So let's assume that they had $200,000 saved. And I know if you're freaking out thinking, that's ridiculous, that's a lot of money. Well, hey, there's a lot of different situations out there. So that's okay. This is their situation. What you might be able to do is put all the money into the property. But then if your goals were to invest after you get the house, maybe then speak to the mortgage broker once you've settled, set up another mortgage and borrow that difference of two, uh, of dollars and 200, which is $60,000. Then you can invest with that because then the debt will be tax deductible because you're using it for investing. So, lots of different strategies. The overarching thing here, Charlotte, is you're in a really good position and it's a great problem to have.
0: And we are all jealous of you.
2: And we are all jealous. P.S. Can I have some money, Charlotte? Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. The next question is from Hannah and she says, can I buy a house if I plan to go back to uni for the next two years or is it too risque? You've
2: Mm -hmm. just got to do the numbers. Like what are you going to do for an income while you're at uni? Like if you're deciding to go to uni full time and, you know, work 10 hours a week just to keep the wheels spinning, it might not be actually possible. Mm. But if you are planning to buy an investment property with the income that you got now, then have a, a tenant in there that helps service the mortgage and, and you do the numbers with your broker and, you know, yeah, it can service itself provided you've got some cash savings and a bit of a buffer, you might go back to uni. I think, you know, you may have answered it yourself. Is it too risky? Somebody who has a high risk tolerance might not be even thinking if it's too risky because they're just going to do it. But if you're like, and I I think because you've asked the question, Hannah, you're probably a bit um, more of the mid-range, like you're not no risk, but you're not, um, you know, America, America, pew, pew, you know, cowgirl style. (laughs) Um, But I I think you've just got to put the numbers down, do some scenarios. uh, But my overarching question is, what are you going to do to put food on the table when you're at uni? Because and this is the crazy thing, ladies, like whether you are retired, whether you're uh, a 22-year-old living at home, whether you're um, in full flight in family mode, whether you're a person with a disability or not, like whatever you are in this society, we've all got expenses, baseline expenses, and a lot of those are food, Uh, clothing, you know, rent or mortgage payment. So, you know, we've all got expenses that need income to meet those expenses. And that income needs to come from a job or an occupation, or if we build up enough wealth that can produce an income for us, you know, so we're completely financially independent. Uh, So I would just speak to a broker uh, and see how you go, Hannah. But it's a great. It's a great thing because once you start uni, you can't then change your mind because you won't have a job to service a home if you aren't still working full-time. If you're working full-time through it and you can juggle it, well, knock yourself out. But by the sound of the question, she does want to stop hours. Well, I just want to finish up by saying thanks, everyone, for sending your questions in. Thanks, Jess and Rach, for jumping on the podcast. Uh, What I was talking about before with the announcement and particularly how we were talking about the book and the spending plan. Uh, Our team uh, has two other people in it, Nathan, who's not well, and uh, I was actually going to get him on to read some questions as well. And then Jess, who's on maternity leave. Now, the products that we have, like the spending plan, the online investing school, the money journal, uh, and ultimately the book, all this stuff helps pay our wages. We are a completely independent podcast. Uh, We are not In association with any of the radio networks, you can Google Podcast Ranker and go to the Australian Podcast Ranker, and it tells you, you know, for the month of, you know, October or September 2021, all the podcasts in Australia that are rated. You know, our podcast is bigger than some of these on this list but we're not on the list because we are so independent. Like there are other independent podcasts that use uh, different sales representatives and all that stuff, but we are 100% independent. So, Woo! you know, I'm yeah. I'm just not in this radio world and I don't care for it. You know, they've got monthly listens and downloads and all that. We're just doing our thing. So that means uh, we do need to produce revenue to bring this content to you uh, and to ultimately pay uh, the wonderful team that we've got, you know, Rachel, Jess, Nathan, and uh, the other Jess who's on maternity leave. And I would like to make some money at some point. Uh, but <laughs> what I want to do an announcement of is that in the coming weeks, we're going to have a new show partner. And like we had a couple of years ago with Sun Super, they're just going to get a shout out at the start of every Tuesday episode. And, you know, to be, to be completely transparent, they pay a fee and they get a 25-second shout-out at the start of every Tuesday episode. Uh, it's not going to be blatant product flogging. Uh, there might be some money tips and different things like that, but I'm just letting everybody know uh, the way we do things at My Millennial Money, it's a little bit different and we are completely independent. We might not be the biggest, we might not be the best, but we're giving it a good shake and we just want to bring you along this journey. Uh, and if you've really got a problem with that, we don't work for free and neither should you. So <laughs> I love it. I'll, I would never encourage anyone to do anything without being remunerated for it because that's borderline slavery and trafficking. So uh, we're not about that life. So thank you everybody for keeping us in business and we thank you for letting us give you infotainment. So Woo. there we go. Yeah. All yes. right. Should we go?
3: Yeah.
0: I think no, so. No, I have questions for you.
2: All right, well, we'll do an after party. Uh, so we'll leave it there. Thank you, everybody. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll end the episode. And if you want to hang around for the bands, you can. Bye. Thanks, ladies. See
0: Bye. You. Thanks for employing me. <laughs>
2: Okay. All right. We've got 10 minutes because then I need to edit this because Nathan is not at work today and I live on the wild side where we do Tuesday's episode on a Monday. (laughs) So if you're hearing this.
3: I'm just going to stop filling your your calendar on a Monday.
0: I'll just leave it open.
2: It doesn't help when Nathan's sick though.
0: Just don't fill his calendar at all. At all. <laughs> That's what he yeah, wants. Yeah,
2: so if you, if, you, if you heard this episode at like between 5.30am and 10am, you probably heard the version that I edited because I'll get Nathan to actually clean it up and master it when he gets in. So there we nice. have it. The loose version. Yeah. All right,
0: so let's get this party started. I'm conscious of time, but mm-hmm. Glenn, I have some questions for you. Now, you've mm-hmm. let all of the community ask a whole bunch of questions yeah. and now it is my time to shine, okay? So... <laughs> Here is what I have written down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would you rather someone see all of the photos in your phone or nope. someone to read all of the text messages in your text phone? Text messages. Wow. Why?
2: Interesting. Why? For the exact reason that I want <laughs> that them to just see the text the messages. The yeah.
3: you are you out taking
0: interesting selfies of yourself, Glenn? I love it. All right, so if you were a song, what song would you be? But, like, let's make it a 2021 hit song. Wow. Um,
2: 2021, what song do I like lately?
0: I, I know. I could make a suggestion for you, but
2: mm.
0: well, you like Justin Bieber?
2: Oh, Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'll show you the song that I I really like on his album.
3: Um, I did not know this. I
2: I mean, I I I honestly don't think I would go to a concert if I had to pay for it, but um, I like this song. If he invited you
0: as his VIP guest, would you attend? Probably.
2: (laughs) It's called Someday. Don't sue us for playing this.
0: Love these beats. So this is Wait, the I'll song that the you would be.
2: Yeah, it's just cool.
3: If you could see
0: Glenn right now, he's really vibing.
2: No, I just that—that's the first song that came to mind.
0: Love it. All right. Mm. If you were an animal, what animal would you be?
2: Black cockatoo.
0: I knew wow, that. that was so fast!
2: They're majestic. They're my favourite animals. I already
0: knew. I already knew the answer to that question. I just threw I got it a in there. Big so you had an
2: black cockatoo in my living room from an ex-girlfriend. I got heaps of stuff from ex-girlfriends.
0: What else do you I've have from heaps ex-girlfriends? Of heaps of stuff. Oh, <laughs>
2: I go through them because I'm emotionally bankrupt. <laughs>
0: All right, all right. Let's and, change. Pace sorry to thing.
2: those who are listening. I actually change have space. come a long way. I've come a long way. I've got. Okay, help. what's
0: been your and I'm biggest? Medicated. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is great. All right, so what's been your biggest financial success?
2: What Did the hell was that? that? Yeah, that was
3: thunder. That was Jesus. A massive. The crap out thunder. of me. I didn't even have time to mute
2: my mic. I'm like, did someone's truck drive through your window?
3: That's the (sighs) scary stuff that's coming for us on the coast right Um, now.
2: Biggest financial success? Um, I I built a business and sold it for lots of money. You Um, Nice. I mean, that was over the years. Um, And lots of money is in. It did it quite all right. Um, I once invested in a property venture with a developer and Mm. got um, 100% of the money back and more or something like that. Uh, That was really good. Um, May or may not have done well in 2017 with some Bitcoin. Um, (laughs) No, no, I think it was actually Litecoin or Ethereum, I forget. Um, Wow, I did that IPO a couple, uh, yeah, last year that did like 900% in two weeks or something ridiculous.
0: That was this year, I think.
2: No, it was last year. That was no? another one maybe. Um, oh, okay. I'm sounding really rich and entitled. Anyway,
0: you're just like, I'm like, what's been your biggest financial success? And you're like, well, I did this, I did this, <laughs> I did this, I did this. Well, they're kind I'm of all, like, okay. Um, I'll I let saved it, no, 200 I bucks once.
2: Um. <laughs> A financial <laughs> success. Um,
0: no, nah, you've answered it now. All right, next question. I don't want to feel like, do-
2: oh, gosh. I'm going to – remember I said anything where I talk about my own money, we need to cut that out of the show because I get too much hate for it. But All it is right. the after party. So if you're still listening, you're either – you. if you're still listening to this, right, there's two types of people that are listening to this. One, you genuinely like the podcast and like the banter or two, You can't stand me and the podcast and you're looking for a reason to- To
0: hate Glenn. Hate. Oh.
2: It's got to be the only reasons, right?
0: No, well, people might be listening because they like you. Three
3: could be their toast was burning and they just left it running because they had to save their toast.
0: Gosh. So true. So true. That's definitely like maybe a majority though.
2: But I just- Mm,
0: Definitely. (sighs)
2: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, anyway.
0: Anyway, all right. So, if you could do one thing differently in your life, would you and Mm -hmm. what would it be?
2: (sighs) One thing differently in my life. Probably try and develop better habits around fitness and exercise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I and that. I would. <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll start the Simo boot camp as of next Monday.
2: Yeah, everyone, we're thinking of doing a um, a bit of a, a Simo. Um, what are we doing? We're talking about it today.
3: Really? Any agreement?
2: <laughs> no, like how I said, I want to do that kind of mm, mm, like coaching type thing, like oh, an accountability.
0: Glenn's. Glenn's- Glenn James Investing Club. Yeah. And we do an back?
2: intake and we do like, we meet every, um, I'm literally thinking of this on the spot. We meet yeah, once a- Yeah, well, this has got a,
0: nothing to do with health and fitness. Yeah,
2: we meet once a fortnight on <laughs> Zoom and we'll pay for it because one, again, we want your money and we don't work for free. But two, um, it gives you buy-in. And then maybe what we do, JP- we do a, um, we meet once a fortnight for six fortnights. And I might get you to put this together on something. And we, basically what we do, we get everyone to list their goals and it's a group accountability session. And maybe you only have 20 people in the group. And what it does is it's like just to get you from, it probably doesn't even need to be about investing. Just about this money thing where it's like-
0: Glenn James Club, that's it. Yeah,
2: like, well, it's just, but I, like, I'm not their guru. I'm not your Google. Google. Uh, (laughs) I'm not your Google. You Um, are our
0: Google. Every time I have a question about money, I'm like, I could be going to Google, but I'm like, I'll just ask Glenn.
2: Anyway, we might think of that because it's just about the encouragement and the accountability over a six-week period to get stuff done or an eight-week period or whatever. Nice. Because if someone buys in for a couple hundred dollars and they're actually serious about doing it, it's got to be the best money ever spent if it changes your life. For sure. Um, Oh, everyone, if you don't follow us on IG, do so. Do you know how you did that thing about Free Britney?
0: Yeah.
3: So
2: Everyone go and have a look at IG. There's a meme there for Free Britney. I actually watched that on Friday night.
0: I watched it. I've watched multiple things about freeing Britney. How horrendous is it? It's terrible. Like, I was watching a couple of years back when I think it started on Reddit, maybe in a sub thread where somebody said, Has anybody seen Britney's Instagram? Things are like not all good. Wow. You know what I mean? When they were reading into the situation, and it wasn't until recently that all of this stuff has come out and just, you know, proved all of these, you know, diehard Britney fans that that they were actually right about it.
2: I have a hypothesis that is probably not correct. Hmm. I reckon. No oh, who cares? No one cares what I think.
0: I, can't, uh, I care. Wanna, I want to hear.
2: I this is just like I watched the documentary, right? I reckon because she did. I think it's fair to say, looking in, she's had some type of breakdown, right? As we all do. As we all do, you know. I've, (laughs) you know, my key breakdowns in my life. I remember where I were at the time. Um, (laughs) I um.
0: I can relate to
2: that. I reckon when she was having the breakdown and she was dating some sus guy, I reckon it began or began with the father out of good intent. I want to protect you from yourself and from someone else getting their mitts on your money.
0: Yeah, I don't think that would be an out there hypothesis. No,
2: but at some point, like the fact that she, you know, If that was the case, yeah. But then it just goes weird and it's just like, well, at some point something's gone wrong. They've clearly started to abuse her and use her as a workhorse to generate revenue. Mm. Uh, There might have been a bit of that, you know, Stockholm-y type thing where she thought it was a good thing. Because there were like parts in that documentary where in the early days, I think she accepted it, right? So she was convinced that it was a good thing. Mm. Um, But- very clear, it was just disgusting. And it shouldn't have been the father, it should have been a third party. Yeah. Why couldn't she have access to her own representation? You know, because yeah. if if you're a sound mind to be able to do a freaking tour and do albums, give me a yep. break. Yeah. Yeah. It was just but that's that was my hypothesis. Like maybe it started with the right intentions and then got abused and then but it was interestingly enough, the court appointed uh lawyer actually threw in the towel at the end of it anyway i think i don't know but then there was someone getting a million dollars a year like it's just so bad
0: yeah it seems like it's too many cooks in there too many things happening
2: cool all right all
0: right well hold on i've got let's let's end with one last question Mm. what is your next big life goal Mm. that's a good one. Or financial goal. I'll settle for that as well.
2: Well, I want to buy a house near the lake, yeah. like Lake Macquarie, mm-hmm. I think. Nice. Pretty sure. Tried to get a block of land. They rejected me.
0: Wait, did they reject you?
2: Well, I just ran out. Like, I just didn't get an allocation. There was just... Anyway, I explained it on previous episodes, Jess, that you clearly don't listen to
0: it. Oh, I'm probably I'm not up to date at the moment.
2: No. Um, I'm so sorry. And because you know, I don't want a commercial lease as long as, long as I'm on the planet anymore, so yeah. I want to build a custom studio in like a granny flat type arrangement or something like that.
0: Yeah, mm. and that's because of mm. a dumb landlord, isn't it?
2: Yeah, but every commercial lease I've had, has been just a total pain in the ass. Right. Um, Hopefully,
3: your landlord doesn't
0: listen to this.
2: <laughs> oh, stuff him. I hope he does. You're a dickhead.
0: <laughs> Rachel, you probably need to go back and listen to. Um, is there one? I think there is something. I, did, I did some
2: type of rant. There's yeah. a, some
0: type of rant about the old studio landlord.
2: So, Rachel, he had people staying behind the premises illegally in a shed and charging oh rent. He was a slumlord. He is a slumlord. And then my, so basically what happened was uh, the roof leaked and I called him and said, oh, hey mate, the roof's leaking. And there was like all mold at the top and I'd repainted it. And he's like, oh, just get up there with a bit of bleach and it'll be fine. I'm like, no, I pay <sighs> you rent. It's your leak. Like, it's not my problem. So that was annoying. And then I paid, you know, part of the outgoings was the toilets to be cleaned and they were never cleaned. I had guests and clients coming in and he called, I called, I sent him an email or something and he called me. He's like, you can't dictate to me when I can clean there. No, There's nothing wrong. I said, I'm not dictating. I'm just saying I sign and pay for something. It's not getting done. Mm. And then when I found out that he was a slumlord, I reported him to the council and the next phone call, I called him and said, I'm out of here because mm. I don't want, you'd have one more cent of my money. And then when COVID was happening, I said, oh, are you going to do anything like there's tenancy where they don't have a profitable business as me and they need the walking people. Are you going to actually give them a rent reduction and help anyone out? Like just from a human point of view, because I know for a fact he owns the building and he's one of the most wealthy people around here. Um, and he would all day long be getting a hu- like, and I know you can't, it's none of everyone's business how much anyone earns, but it's a stated fact that he's the biggest private rate payer in our region. Like when I called the council, they knew of him. Like huge tight ass, huge, huge, screwed tight ass. Question. Yep. And, he, and council- he said, no, I'm not helping anyone.
0: Did Gee, the council wild. do anything after you reported him?
2: I uh, don't know. Maybe.
0: Have you seen? Or probably him not. Since given it,
2: Central Coast. Given it, Central Coast Council—they're useless.
0: Okay, what they're would you at say to him? are running at a half a billion him.
2: dollar loss. Yeah. What would
0: you say to him if you saw him again?
2: Um, nothing. I, I would ignore him.
0: Would you punch him? No, nah. <laughs> I'm not a
2: violent. I'm a lover, not a fighter.
0: <laughs> right. Nice. Nice. Well, should we end on like on Enneagrams? Why don't you tell us about your enneagram? <laughs> Yes. We'll just keep this after party going forever.
2: (laughs) This is going to be the worst podcast episode. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 8.
0: Nice.
2: Uh, Yeah. What's you, Jess? What's you? What are you?
0: What's you? I am a 1 but a very strong wing 2.
2: Nice. Mm. Rach, Chow pal. What are you?
0: I'm a 9 and
3: a wing 1.
2: Yeah, gal.
0: Yeah, 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 girl. So, um, Glenn, have you said cool on the podcast yet, but in the Carol. way that you say it? Cool. And what was the other thing he was meant to say? Yeah, you have to do the other
3: one. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. So I've been sending, like. Something
0: else that you said that he should say.
2: <sighs> I don't know. I
3: have no idea. I can't remember anymore. So. I can't remember. What to save it for a different episode.
0: No, I'll never be invited back. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Anyway, uh, nice knowing yous, and oh, guess what?
0: He's singing us.
1: No. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.